So we're starting a new series called Keep Fighting. And um, as Christians, we need to understand that we are in a supernatural fight. Every movie you've ever seen, at some point, it, it's, it's the fight between good and evil. Come on, y'all. You know what I'm saying? There's always like, it starts off really positive and, and it's the, you know, everything's nice. And then all of a sudden, there's this dark character that comes in and usually he's like, you know, like, he talks really weird. And uh, it's the villain, you know, it's evil, good and evil. And as Christians, we know that that's true, except it's not always physical, it, it's spiritual, it's, it's evil, it's, it's you know, uh, uh, between, between God and Satan and sin and, and unrighteousness and all of these, this, this constant tension that we live in and we see the effects of, of us all around us. But, but many people sort of get used to life and they get used to just things being docile or at least it kind of seems docile and then they forget that they're in a war zone, that they're in a battle, that they're in a fight. And uh, when it comes to fights, you know, like we got some boxing gloves here, right? So the thing about me is that I've, <clears throat> I've never actually been in a fist fight before, but I've watched a lot of them. Come on, how many of you guys, you know, man, you start, uh, you start scrolling through, <laughs> through Instagram or whatever, you know what I'm talking about? I don't know, like when Brent said something about multiple fights in the hockey game, I'm like, yes, some of you are very offended by that. I'm so sorry. But you know, it's pretty amazing that in hockey, it's the only sport that, you, that like, whenever there's a fight, everybody's like, yeah, and the refs get out the way. You know, I was watching NBA last night and like these two guys started like kind of talking at each other and everybody's like, whoa, whoa, stop it. You know, anyway, all right. But in, in a fist fight, there's a lot going on. There's two people, two opponents, they have a strategy and obviously they're trying to beat the other guy up. They're trying to win the, the fight. And so there's all sorts of things going on, but there's strategy going on. It's not just two guys running at each other like a street fight. <laughs> you got street fights, dudes, just, just, they just go for it. It's usually one punch and done, right? This, this isn't that type of fight. This is a tactical, strategic fight that, that we are in and at many times are, we're kind of caught between. And so whether you know, or, know it or not, you are in a spiritual battle. Now, spoiler alert, all right? How many of you know... Sometimes you're scrolling through Facebook and somebody, they, they spoil the, uh, the movie ending for you. You know what I'm talking about? I'm going to go and just spoil it from the beginning. Uh, through Jesus, the battle has already been won. All right? So let's just go ahead and establish that. Get it out there for you. And for those of you who, when I said that, it sounded cliche, the problem is that you don't have a revelation of what that means. And in Christianity... Many of us have heard a statement like that and it doesn't move us because we've lost connection with or maybe have never had a connection to what that actually means. There's a doctrine in Christianity called Christus Victor and it reminds us that through the atoning work of Christ, Jesus triumphed over darkness, Satan, sin, death, and evil and has restored creation and redeemed humanity. And so that's how God is victorious in the ultimate battle. I love how everything with God is like upside down. We have our natural way of thinking about how God should have accomplished victory over all these things. And it would have had to do with, you know, like just, I don't know, battlefronts and, you know, 
Obviously, when Jesus came, everybody thought he should overturn the Roman Empire and all these types of things. That's what the Messiah is going to do. And he came in a different way. He came to defeat the real battle, which is the spiritual one. But we're all currently in this fight against the enemy who, as John puts it in John 10.10, as Jesus said, is a thief. And this thief comes only to, to steal and kill and destroy And so in this series, we're going to be exposing some of the enemy's strategies in this fight, and we're also going to be embracing God's strategy in this fight. And so uh, what I'm really excited about in this series is that we're going to be using this uh, story. And this is a story of a man named John, who, uh, not the guy that wrote the book here, uh, John, but but John Henley. Um, He is our worship coordinator over in our Ocean Springs location. He was actually at this location for many years, and uh, we've known John for a long time. And uh, I love John. If you know John, what you see is what you get. And man, I love people like that. Like, I can't stand politics. I can't stand, like, where are you coming from? No, John's like, hey, man, you just need to hear the truth right now, and that's what it is, man. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> that's pretty good. It's pretty good. And <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Hey. <laughs> right? Ah. <laughs> if you don't know John, then you're like, what is he doing? But if you know John. But we're going we're gonna to listen to a portion of John's story today, we're all, and then we're going to listen to uh, a couple of other parts of his story next week. And then the end of this month, we're actually going to hear from John and his wife, Chantel, on some, some marriage stuff. And so, yeah, it's going to be super cool. So this is what I want to do. I want to go ahead and turn our attention to the screens as we watch this first clip. My name's John. I'm from the Ocean Springs campus, and this is my story of how God delivered me and saved my life and saved my soul. I guess you could say my story of faith is a bit of a roller coaster ride. Um, I was introduced to the gospel as a preteen. Uh, my family took me to church and I said the prayer of salvation, but I didn't really have much of a foundation for my faith. Um, there wasn't anything for young people at the church I went to, and the gospel was not being lived out in my home. That didn't really set well with me and left a bad taste in my mouth. So I fell away from the faith fairly quickly. And I was in junior high as part of a class project. We were studying witchcraft. And during that class, we actually levitated somebody off the ground. And that opened up a a really dark, dark presence in my life. Uh, From that point on, I began to suffer severely with depression and anxiety. I would constantly feel like I wanted to take my own life. And I was just tortured daily. Uh, I turned to drugs and alcohol to, to try to water those feelings down, I guess you would say. Whatever I could do to try to distract myself from that torture that was going on in my mind. And that went on for years and years. And I fought it. It was just, I was was miserable. And uh, I was probably in my early 20s. And I thought to myself, I need a change in my life. I need to do something different in my life. I felt like I was in a rut in my life. So at the time, uh, the thing that I thought would get me out of that rut was going back to school. I was working a full-time job. But I said, I'll go back to school. That'll be a change in my life. And maybe that'll get me out of the rut I'm in. 
And while I was going to school, I met a girl and I liked her, so I asked her out. And her response was an invitation to church. <laughs> so I said yes, because I liked her and I wanted to hang out with her, but she really didn't have any interest in dating me. She just wanted to introduce me to the gospel. So, and so I came to Northwood Church and met some really good people, uh, true men of God. And I experienced God's love through people for the first time. John's story is, uh, you know, it starts off like a lot of people's story, doesn't it? It's like, uh, grew up a little bit in church. Uh, a lot of people, especially the South, here we are, a lot of people grow up in church. And they have these experiences when they're young. And uh, like John said, you know, it, it's one thing to grow up in church, uh, but it's difficult whenever you see your family, you know, live one way at church and then not operate the same way at home. You know, especially whenever that is combined with a lack of repentance or, or, or confession. You know, hey, we're not, we're not perfect, right? But at the same time, when there's mistakes, there's a way to biblically, you know, live out the gospel with one another and forgiveness and confession and, and all that good stuff and grace. But, uh, but many people, that's not their story. You know, they, they've, it was the opposite. Um, years ago, uh, after a service, I, I talked to a guy over here off these stairs um, he came up at the end of service and he said, it's the first time I ever saw him. He said, hey man, I just want to let you know that that was an incredible gospel presentation. I was like, wow, thank you. Well, never had somebody put it in those words. And, uh, he said, he said, man, I've never heard the gospel taught like that. And he said, and I've heard the gospel taught a lot. And I was like, well, what's your background? He said, um, oh, let me say this one thing before it went to the next thing. He said, he said, um, uh, it was great. He said, now, I don't believe in that, but it was really good. I forgot that part. <laughs> to which I was like, <laughs> I mean, that's cool, but like, I didn't expect it to be like, man, that was really good. And then either it was really good or I did really bad because he doesn't believe it. Like, I don't know. I didn't know how to take that. You know what I'm talking about? And um, come to find out, he grew up in a very, very, very religious home. And he said... Uh, he said that, that like, you know, any correlation between a father and God for him is just, it doesn't work. And he said uh, he also would see God as this tyrant, and he said all this kind of stuff. And then he began to talk about how his dad would beat him. And uh, he used a lot of colorful language that I won't repeat right now. But, um, but I finally, I looked at him and I said, man, the reason that you can't see God as a loving father is because your father, who was a representative of God and who also said all the right things at church, came home and beat you. And so that correlation is just almost impossible. He said, absolutely. He's fully aware of it. What is that? The experiences that we have at a young age shape us. They shape us. And we could pass the mic around this room and talk all day up until the game time. We could talk all day. You know what I'm saying? We've got to get, get going. <laughs> we could talk all day about all of our experiences. And, and many of you older people, you would be able to look back whenever you were younger, and you could say, this statement that was made when I was seven, and now I'm 70, and I, still, I can still remember what I heard and what I felt like it was yesterday. It shaped you. And that could be good or bad, Right? These experiences shape us, and what they shape is they shape our identity and ultimately our purpose. 
They really do, these experiences that we, we face. And so the fight that we're gonna be talking about over the next two weeks is the fight for our identity and our purpose. And the enemy's strategy to you know, ultimately destroy you is to steal your identity and to kill and destroy your purpose. Because if he could do that, he's got everything about you. And it starts whenever you're a little kid. It starts at birth. I want to define identity for you. Identity, it's the memories, experiences, relationships, and values that create one's sense of self. Okay? Those things create a sense of self. And so this is what I want to, I want to do right now. This is going to be fun. I want you to ask yourself this question right now. Don't say it out loud and don't answer it out loud, but we're going to take 15 seconds of silence for you guys to answer this. You ready? Ask yourself this, who am I? Who am I? That question is a defining question of our lives. And so whenever we ask a question like that, and we were to say it out loud, I, I wonder if for a lot of you, the first thing that you went to is things like what you do, what your career is. I'm a teacher. That's, my, that's who I am. I'm a teacher. I'm, I'm a husband. I'm a, I'm a mom. And that's the things that many people go to when they ask the question, who am I? But the, the trick there is that that's not who you are. That's what you do. And so it's kind of a trick question, but it's actually, it reveals something that's deeply incorrect and wrong with the way that we identify ourselves. And so whenever we talk about this battle of for your identity, many people, that's how they live their whole life is based upon what they are doing. Now, I wanna de define three things. Identity is, is who I am, okay? Purpose is why I exist, and function is what I do. Now, you gotta take a second, all right, to, to really absorb this because this is huge. Many people flip-flop. They flip-flop function and identity, right? They, they, they get those things mixed up. And here's the deal. The enemy wants to define your identity by anything other than what it should be. There is a, a massive movement in our society, number one, to identify people as their sexuality. It is a question of identity, who I'm attracted to defines who I am. People who talk about their pronouns and all this, their, their, their whole life is wrapped around, their identity is wrapped around this, this thing that's not even supposed to be their identity in the first place. But our culture, hook, line, sinker, has taken the bait. It's even gone beyond just sexual identity. It's going into whether you're a human or not. And, you know, it started out, like, culturally kind of like a, that's not real. People aren't really doing that. Now it's happening. 
The enemy has, has, has just begun to shovel things into our society about identity and people are receiving it. And, and the enemy has weaponized empathy and compassion as the doorway for people's souls. Well, if I love them, then I will, you know, I'm gonna be an ally. Weaponizing something that God created, compassion and empathy, in order to force feed this down the throat of every believer and every single part of society. Now, whether you agree with that or not, that's fine. But this is what's happening. And so it's a fight. It has many fronts. Now, there's that side, but guess what? There's also just you being identified simply based upon a skill or a craft or something that you're good at, maybe accomplishments. Some of you, whenever I said, who are you, you thought 10 years ago whenever you launched that incredible business. And you're like, that's who I am. I'm CEO. I'm whatever. Whatever that title is that you let people know about. And that's how we, we start. The kingdom of the world puts it like this. Your function, what you do, is your purpose, why you exist, and defines your identity, who you are. And this, go ahead and put that up on the screen for us. This is, what the, this is the pattern of the world. The kingdom of the world says this. It puts it in this order. Your function, who I am, must be your function, what I do, right? But it's not. But function says that your purpose is why you exist, and then that defines your identity. And y'all, this leads to constant crises in your life. If you've ever said at a point in your life you've had, you're going through an identity crisis, it's because of this right here, which every single one of us in this place have probably experienced this at some level, right? So therefore, guess what that, sh that shows us? We've got this flip-flop. I'm right there with you guys. So you know, I'm, not, I'm not up here like I don't deal with this. Y'all, three years ago, I lost my voice. I couldn't sing for a year and a half. And if you know me, since I was like 12, I've been singing and leading worship. And so guess who I was? I'm a worship leader. That's who I am. I'm a worship leader. And I kind of went through an identity crisis because all of a sudden I started teaching years later and I'm like, I'm not a teacher, I'm a worship leader. Right? And then it came to about three years ago at the end of 2020, well, during 2020, the stress of everything that was going on through a lot of different things and, every, and, and life, it just, I couldn't sing. Literally couldn't keep a tune anymore. In my truck, trying to figure it out, couldn't sing. Just like, eh. I'm like, so guess what I went through? An identity crisis. And guess what I learned? That I was basing my identity upon a function, upon a gift that God gave me, but that had become part of my purpose, and it wasn't supposed to be. So whenever I lost the voice, I lost the function, I lost my ability to express worship, my ability to, to just, I don't know, fit in. I don't, I, I don't know. This was just three years ago, y'all. <laughs> and I didn't know what I was feeling. I was feeling this right here. And so what's, some of you right now, you're identifying yourself as being a mom or a, a business owner or whatever it is, a teacher, again, just plug it in. You're, that's how you identify yourself. Like, man, this is who I am. But that's actually your function, and whenever your function becomes king, the enemy is setting you up. He's setting you up. It's like, man, it's, it's like the jab. Again, I've never boxed before, so if I do something weird, just, just go with me on this one, y'all. But apparently, you know, it, bah, right? It's like, 
I don't know. Um, I probably had, I know something that you put your foot, right? You, you plant. Anyway, but if you don't know that the jab of the enemy is to swip, swap this around in your life, then you are functioning your whole life based upon, you're, you're, you're basing your whole life upon your function. And guys, listen, I've experienced it myself in different seasons of my life, and I'm sure all of you have. But guess what we're doing? We're exposing what the enemy does in our life. When we lose our identity and purpose, we tend to cope, which is the next phase of the enemy's strategy. The identity that he gives you doesn't satisfy you, so he gives you a substitute that leads to death. If he's got your identity and that identity begins to shift or whatever happens, at some point, stuff's going to hit the fan and all of a sudden you lose that center and now you begin to deal with, with loss. You begin to deal with this void because you've lost your center. And so guess what? Many times people turn to unhealthy things to fill that void. And now he, he's, he's sinking that hook deeper, which is part of it. Now, John 10, 10, we just read it a second ago. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus goes on. That was just the first part of the scripture. The second part says this. He says, but I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So where the enemy seeks to steal your identity, God gives you a new identity. John's defining moment in his story is Whenever he saw that chick, I don't know who that chick was. I don't know if that was Chantel. Was it Chantel? It was Chantel? Okay, all right. I would, didn't want to assume, but, you know. Um, she's like, yeah, 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 that's cool. Come on, come on. But I know she knew what he really needed. By the way, because of her experience and what God had done in her life, she's got a whole other story. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and, and, and so she's like, I know what you're looking for. I know you think I'm cute, but... Do you have a job and are you saved? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so for many, many years, my dad was pastor here and he would always say that. Hey, you looking for a husband, ladies? Two questions. Is he saved and does he have a job? And uh, so she lived like that. She was like, all right, that's cool. Come on to church. But <laughs> his defining moment was whenever he experienced God's love. And again, just like I said, Jesus has the victory is sort of a cliche for many people. Whenever we say experience God's love, that's a cliche for some people. It doesn't really hold a lot of weight. But that experience, that revelation of God's love for you, despite everything else, is a massive identity shift because there's a new birth Whenever somebody puts their faith in Jesus and they experience God's acceptance in their life, it's a new birth. The Bible says you're a new creation. And so with that new birth comes a new identity. It's a new identity. And he received this new identity. The thing about that is that he received a new identity. All right? So this new identity is received, not achieved. Okay? You... you the gospel is all about receiving the finished work of Jesus, not about beginning to work to achieve a certain level. You could live from this day forward perfect, not one sin, not one misstep, and you would still fall short of the glorious standard of Jesus. For some, that brings depression. For those who understand it, it brings hope. 
It's like, man, the, the pressure of trying to achieve the love of God is off. It's off of you. We refer to that many times as religion. Not that religion is always a bad word, but that's whenever you hear people talk about that. It's, 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 it's this achievement mentality. And so true identity becomes clear whenever we experience God's love. It's a true identity. So as believers, your identity is determined by who God says that you are. By, by who God says you are. What your dad told you when you were eight doesn't define you. What happened to you whenever you were 14, that's, that doesn't define you. What happened to you or what you did, it doesn't. It's a powerful thing, uh, but it's a, it's a small thing, but it's a, it's a powerful statement whenever... A child does something and their parent says, that's what you did, but that's not who you are. It's a powerful moment. But for many of you, you didn't ever hear that. It was what you do is who you are and that's it. And you never shake that. You never shake that off. So you weren't the smartest kid in school. It has nothing to do with your identity. You know what I'm saying? So, so you tried to do that thing and you failed. It's not your identity. Now, this isn't a self-help message today. But if we don't, if we don't talk, take a second and talk about these things in our life, this is, the, this is the language that the enemy uses in your life to hold you down. We're gonna anchor it to true identity in a second. But if you don't hear the lies that the enemy has spoken to you in a moment like this, then you don't know what we're talking about. What lie are we talking about? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's, it's, we have to identify these things, expose the lies of the enemy so we can actually move forward. So as believers, your identity is determined by who God says that you are. So where we said the kingdom of the world puts your function first, which then shapes and defines your purpose, which then leads to your identity, the kingdom of God says this, your identity, right, is first, identity, who you are, confirms your purpose, why you exist, and defines your function, what I do. And this leads to abundant life and freedom. The other way leads to constant crises and bondage. By the way, if, if you're living, if you flip this, you're living in constant crisis mode. You're also living in bondage because of coping, but also you're in bondage to everybody and everything around you because that's what's determining all everything that's inside of you. This removes all strength and power from outside circumstances. So you lost your job. It doesn't shake you to the core. So your health is failing. It doesn't shake you to the core of who you are. You're anchored to something deeper. So your identity confirms your purpose and defines your function. With all that being said, how do you fight for your identity? How do you fight for this right here? Well, we're gonna go to the best example real quick. The best example is this. How did Jesus fight for his identity? And many are like, what are you talking about? He knew who he was. Yeah, but that identity got tested. 
Whenever Jesus was about to start his ministry, he went to the wilderness for 40 days. And at the end of that, Satan, the tempter, comes to him. And, and, and y'all, listen, some of you have never seen this before, but, but listen to the question that the, the tempter asks him in Matthew 4. Came to him and said to him, if you are the son of God, if, if you are, if you're that, and then he goes on in three different ways to tempt him. But the question of if you are, you are going to experience that question over and over and over again in your life. And Jesus gave us the template of how to deal with it. The songs that we just sang about I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I'm a child of God, that's an identity song. It's a song about your identity. He comes and he says, if you are the son of God. Now, he doesn't come to us and say, if you are the son of God, capital S, right? That's not what it, Satan, oh, well, maybe for some people he might, but, but no, it's our, if you are a child of God, if you are, which every believer is a child of God. Those who are outside of Christ are not children of God. Those who are in Christ are children of God. So it's a question of identity. So the enemy tests you in this area. And so Jesus replies with the word of God. He replies with the word of God, which I'm gonna be honest with you, is your only defense whenever that question comes. Because if you reach out and grab your, your activity, well, I am a child of God because of how good I've been lately. I've, I tell you what, I am a child of God because I have read the Bible four days in a row. That's how I know. When I'm at the restaurant, I pray for my food and everybody sees it. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, <laughs> humor break. All right, so you reach out and you grab hold of some of those things. And in light of what we're about to talk about, that is so thin. But guess what? The enemy will let you have that. Oh, wow. You have. Oh, I guess I'll walk away from you for right now. And he just waits till you miss a day. And he's back. You know, with all the depression and all the, the weight and the condemnation and the questioning of who you are and all that kind of stuff. And you're not really free. I told you, you're not free. You're still in bondage. You know what? You're not even saved. And if, if that's what your identity in Christ is based upon, it's just another substitute. It's how the enemy destroys your faith, destroys your, 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 your peace. So Jesus replies with the word of God each time. And so the point for us today is that you have to know and you have to believe what God says about you. This is your defense. How do you fight for your identity in this fight that we're in? You fight with the word of God. Not your effort, not what you've achieved, not your skill set. All of those things get burnt up. We fight with the word of God. So what does the Bible say about us? We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1. Paul the apostle 
In Ephesians chapter one, this, what we're about to read is part of the longest sentence in the Bible. And the thing I love about when Paul wrote a book is that Paul would start off talking nothing about, but about identity in Christ. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Why? Because he, he didn't start with what you should do, how you should live, do the right thing. He started off with, you gotta know who you are. Because if you know who you are, then your purpose is established and naturally flowing out of that, your function and how you live will be shaped by these things. Sure, you're gonna have to fight with your, you know, there's self-control and there's things in that category too, but at least you know why you're doing what you're doing. If not, you're just doing it because it's, I guess, the right thing to do, maybe. But if your morals change, then therefore that's what, what, what it's not the right thing to do anymore. You know what I'm saying? So identity, Paul starts there and he starts in Ephesians chapter one and he says this, verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Basically all the benefits of Christ that he achieved on the cross is we're blessed with. Every heavenly blessing we're blessed with in Christ, again, in Christ, not because of something that we've done. Verse four, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. When you think of before him, think about, come on, I, I just picture, I picture everything that we talked about last month, that we're blameless and holy before him. Come on, the, the brazen altar, the laver, the holy place, the, the lampstand, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, and before, we come before him holy and blameless, but, but not because of what we've done, because of what Christ has done in our, in our place, right? In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. I love how he anchors everything to Christ. According to the purpose of what? His will. His, it was his will, not yours. The purpose of his will. You were adopted. Adoption, there's a commentary that said this about adoption. Adopted children have their position in Christ by grace and not by right, and yet are brought into the family on the same footing as children by birth. Adoption is one of the most incredible pictures of what, of what God does for his children. He adopts us into his family. He grafts us in to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in Jesus. He's blessed us. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. And then it ends with, in all wisdom and insight, in his wisdom, his purpose, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. Y'all, it's all in him. So your identity as a child of God says this about you, that you are blessed Chosen, holy, blameless, loved, adopted, redeemed, and forgiven. So all the other answers back whenever you sat there and said, who am I? If it didn't, 
if it didn't say these things, if it didn't say what the word of God says, the, the enemy has been jabbing you right in the face. Been jabbing you. He might not got that uppercut yet, but he's got you off balance. And so now it's been exposed. And, and for some of you, you've got to learn how to trust in what I just said. You've got to actually pray that God would, by his spirit, reveal this truth to you. To where whenever everything hits the fan, or your identity, the core of who you are is questioned, or you're confused by this, that, that it becomes the, the habit of going to that, of turning to that, not turning to a new job, not turning to a new relationship because your only identity that you have is based upon who you're hooked up with. No, like, none of that, because it's all coping mechanisms, and it's all things that eventually lead to death. Your identity is not what you do. It's who you are. And who you are in Christ are these things right here. So the next time you ask who I am or who am I, instead of your first thought being your level of education or career, what's hanging in on the wall of your house, you know, your degree, your bank account number, any, any of those things, let your identity in Christ be the answer